You're listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Church Podcast. Hey church, I just want to say hello since I'm not going to be there today. I'm in Colorado Springs in Denver. If you could just pray for me as we're out here calling a generation to revival as we're on this summer schedule. Really, really encouraged by what God's doing through Summer of Prayer, the reports we've been getting back, people just engaging in prayer. And I'm encouraged, not just because people are praying, but because I am convinced that the Bible says that God answers prayer, He responds to prayer. So thank you so much for doing that. If you haven't jumped in yet, jump in with us as well. The Summer of Fun, we're just getting connected. The barbecue's coming up. Really looking forward to that. Today, I wanted to introduce to you our speaker. As I looked over our summer schedule and the times that I was going to be gone, I really just began to ask the Lord, Lord, who is it that you want to be here that really is carrying the word for our church? And so we've had a few different people, but today I really felt from the Lord that Deborah was supposed to come and really deposit into this church and into our lives. Deborah has been a close friend of CJ and I for years, years and years and years. But beyond just being a friend, Deborah has been a very strong prophetic voice for both CJ and myself. She has had very clear dreams, very clear prophetic insights for us, and the Lord has really placed her here with us as a prophetic voice. In fact, she is the one that had the dream that led us to plant in Sacramento. I believe with all of my heart that today Deborah is going to bring a word that we need to hear that's going to help shape our body and our community as we continue to move forward after building the culture that God has called us to establish. So I want you, and I'm very excited that Deborah is here today to be able to speak with us. She is part of this leadership team, part of this family, so it's good to hear from somebody within the house. But I want you to stand up if you would, put your hands together, and welcome our friend and our family member here at Jesus Culture Sacramento, Deborah. All right, thank you. Thank you. Oh no, keep standing. No, it's okay, you can, sit, you can be seated. It's amazing what kind of intro you can get when you pay people, right? So, so your uh, check's in the mail, CJ. Oh, well, it is good to be with you. As many of you may know, I am an identical twin. We are actually mere twins. 10% out of identical twins are mere twins. So it's like looking in a mirror. I'm right-handed. She's left-handed. Her name is Havila. And I get confused a lot with her. She never gets called Deborah, unfortunately, but I do get called Havila multiple times a week. In fact, I was studying for this message and I'm a mom. I've got three kids. My life is crazy. And so I thought I would head over to the library to do some studying and in the library, which is awesome, they have those private booths you can reserve where no one can interrupt you. And so I was in that private booth and um, I was studying. I had my earphones in and doing some things. And all of a sudden I felt this presence behind me and this man begin to tap on my shoulder. And so I took my headphones off to look at him thinking, you know, what do you need? And he said, are you Havala? And I was like, no, I am not. Have a great day, sir. Put my headphones back in and keep going. So, uh, so that's kind of it. But we, we are confused all the time. In fact, our husbands at times have confused us. It's not a Jacob and Leah thing. It's just that they confuse us at times. And one time we were, all you Bible readers will get that. Uh, one time, um, I was walking into my old church and I had just gotten on the phone with my husband. So I knew that my husband was at work and I walked by our conference room and um, they had glass windows so I could see that my dad was there in the conference room. 
And as I was walking down the hallway, there was a pastor who stopped me to ask me some questions about some things. And so I, you know, stopped and started talking to him. And as I was talking to him, I felt someone come up behind me and slap me in the rear end. And before I could think what was happening, he grabbed me around the waist. And all of you who are moms know that this is like a no-no zone after you have children. Like we don't touch this area here. And, um, and so I felt someone come around and reach around and grab me and pull me into him. And for a split second, I thought, okay, my dad's there. My husband's around. Who is this person? And I swing around and there is my brother-in-law, Ben, looking at me in the face. And when he saw me, he was mortified and he chucked me. He threw me. And, and I was just as mortified. And the pastor looked at us and, and he said, I thought I was talking to Deborah, but then when you did that to her, maybe it was Havilah and he was fully confused. And so it is very hard at times to tell us apart. Um, and, you know, I... I may, I wish you, you could tell me apart because I am more, you know, prettier or taller or thinner, um, but I actually have braces. So um, you can tell us apart because I have braces, which is wonderful when you're 37 years old to tell people, I'm the one with braces. So not as fun, but this too shall pass. Um, today I want to talk to you about defining moments critical moments of saying yes to God. You know, every day we make decisions. I'm a mom. I make decisions. I make decisions on what we're going to eat, what everyone's going to wear, including my husband. I make decisions on where we're going to live. I'm kind of one of those, I like to make decisions. In fact, I, I enjoy that process of making decisions. And I know many of you out there do, but there are some decisions that carry more, more weight than others. And there are some critical decisions that are defining moments in our lives. They not only affect us, they affect our children and our children's children. Sometimes we think they're ordinary decisions, but they're defining moments. When you look back at your life, were there moments in time when you made a decision that created an effect for the rest of your life? We all have defining moments. It's the, fact, the factor that separates the failure from the success. There were two twins that were in the Bible, the first twins that were ever in the Bible, Esau and Jacob, and I relate very much to being a twin. And so when I read this story, I do relate to it. And Jacob and Esau were um, brothers and they, Esau was born first. And because in that culture, the, the firstborn son was given an extra blessing, an inheritance, a double portion. And because he was born first, even though they were twins, which were probably born minutes apart, Esau was in line to get the blessing. Well, Jacob didn't like that. Jacob was his mom's favorite, and he thought he should get the blessing. And so he figured out a way, a scheme in order to deceive his brother into getting the blessing. And so his, his dad asked for some soup. Isaac asked for some, uh, to, for some food. And um, Esau was out and he was hunting and he was a hunter and um, Jacob was making tents and things like that. He was more at home and Esau had been gone for many, many days and Jacob decided to make him an incredible lentil soup, which it's an okay story. I don't know if lentil is really you know the number one thing that I would pick, but that's what he chose to do. So he makes lentil soup and when Esau comes back, he's starving. He has been gone. He's been hunting. He doesn't have. He hasn't had food for a long time. And how many of you are out there are food addicts? You know, you're just like the type where it's like I am. Food is my game. That is what I do. That is how I live. I am a yelper. I. That's this is me. 
I know I'm, I am married to one. And so he, he, he loves food. Like this is, this is makes him happy. And, um, Esau came back and he was hungry. Like he was starving and he's like, I'm hungry. I, I need some food. And so Jacob said, great, you can totally have this soup, but I want your birthright. And Esau made a decision that he should not have made, but because he wanted to go in his comfort zone, he said, great, I'll trade you the birthright, the blessing in order for the food. Well, when Esau realized after he had eaten and some other things had happened, realized what Jacob had done, he was mad. And Jacob found out about it. And so Jacob was scared and he didn't really know what to do. And Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob gathered his things and he fled. But because he had this double portion from his father, he began to succeed in everything that he did. So everywhere, everything he touched, he just succeeded in. And his stock, his uh, livestock became so grand that the land that he was in, it could not sustain him anymore. And so he knew he had to go home. He had to go back. But the problem was, is he had to go back through Esau's land and he had to face his demons. He had to face his brother and face what he had done to his brother. And so he decides, I'm going to do it. I have to, I've got to go home. I've got to sustain my wives and my, my children. And so he heads back to Esau's land. And when he gets to Esau's land, I don't know about you, but when those awkward moments come, I like to avoid awkwardness. I don't, I am like, this is not, I don't like confrontation. I'm not a confrontation kind of person. And I can imagine how much guts it took for him to go to this, this, this area. And when he got there, he was so scared that he sent a ton of livestock and some men to go and scout it out as a peace offering to his brother because he was nervous that his brother would, would be mad and going to kill him. And so they, he sends these men and these livestock, and when they come back in return to give him a report, they say, Esau is coming with 400 men. And Jacob thinks, I'm dead. Like, he's going to kill me. I, I'm done. And so he sends more livestock, and then he says to his wives, please, let's, let's hide the wives and my 11 sons, and let's hide them and make sure so they're safe. So when Esau comes and he sees his brother Jacob, all he can do is he, he bows down seven times before his brother, and he, and he thinks at that moment that Esau is going to take revenge, that he's going to be spiteful and kill him. But Esau doesn't do that. And it says right here in Genesis 33, 4, it says... Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. I can imagine Jacob's son Joseph was 10 years old at the time, and Joseph was watching this whole interaction, and he saw that his uncle Esau showed mercy on his dad, Jacob. And I could see how this little boy watched as Esau came and hugged his dad and they cried together. And then I can imagine Esau running over and hugging and meeting the wives for the first time and meeting all of his nephews and hugging all the nephews, including Joseph, and creating this bond with them. And I can imagine that at that moment was a defining moment, not only for Esau and Jacob, but it was also for Joseph. Jacob and Esau didn't realize that their reconciliation was part of God's story. When I was 17 years old, um, God had been doing some things in my heart and really awakening me to God. And 
I was listening to him and I went to bed one night and when I woke up, the Lord had given me a 17 page message on purity for my generation. And I thought it was really odd that he would give me this story or this message because I was more of the shyer twin. I was a little bit more reserved and I thought, well, Havla should be the one who speaks this message. Why should I speak this message? But I felt like God wanted me to do it. And through a series of events, um, we begin to speak and we would go around to different youth groups and different places and churches and we would speak our message and pray for people and things like that. Well, one time we were at this conference and this man walked up to us and said, I want to invite you to our church's youth conference to speak. We think you girls would be awesome at it and we really want you to come. So Havel and I were very excited. We thought, this is great. We can't wait to go. So we got our stuff together and our messages and packed up and showed up at this church ready for the conference. And when we got into the lobby, the youth pastor came up to us and the man introduced us and said, hey, these girls are going to be speaking at the youth conference. Well, the problem was is that the youth pastor didn't know that we were speaking. And so it was this total awkward thing where we were standing there and, and we didn't know what to do because the youth pastor who was running the conference didn't even know that we had been invited to speak. And so he was gracious and really nice. And he said, okay, well, we can get a room for you and maybe you can do a workshop or something. And we were, you know, that was it. And so we went back to our, uh, the place we were staying. And I remember thinking and saying to Havel, you know what, we can leave. Like, we don't have to be here. We can go you know, no one knows that we're even here. No one even cares we're here. Let's just get our stuff and head out of town. We never have to be back here again, right? That's what we can do. But as I begin to pray and ask the Lord, the Lord spoke to me really clearly. And he said, did man call you or did God call you? And at that moment, I had to make a choice. Was I going to obey what God had put inside of me to do for my generation or was I going to run in fear? And so I said to her, you know, I think we should just go. I think we should do this. We got our messages. We got our Bibles. We got in the car. We drove there. We ended up doing a workshop and young people came in and got healed and set free and healing and salvation happened. And it was an amazing experience. And from then on, Havel and I went and traveled and ministered and things like that. But that was a defining moment for us. That was a time when we had to really ask God, God, what do you say about us and what are we called to do? Sometimes our defining moment is not our decision. Have you ever felt that in your life? Some of you in your youth, when you were even children, there were defining moments that happened that you didn't have a choice about. And now you're having to rewrite your story a little bit and you're having to decide in these defining moments how you're gonna respond to those situations. What you do in the middle of your circumstances defines you. God is looking for your response. Have you passed the test of these defining moments? When I look at our lives, I look at, I, I look at it, a defining moment, almost as if it's like a puzzle piece. And um, this, is, this is a sign that I have three boys right here, or two boys because of this. It's broken. But um, this is... But this is kind of what our deciding moments look like in our, in our lives, defining moments. God gives us choices, right? We have things that happen and we make a choice. And when we do, it's a defining moment. We don't see the big picture. I would love it to be like, oh, I made this decision knowing that in 30 years it was going to do this. I wish that was the case. That's not the case. Our defining moments are just a small piece of the puzzle of our life. And only God sees the big picture. Only God sees what will be the outcome of our life. We only get to see one piece at a time. 
And that's annoying, <laughs> right? It's really annoying. And I will ask God one day when I get to heaven, how come you only showed me one piece at a time? Because I really, I'm a, I'm a good puzzle maker. I could do really, really well. But that's not what God, ha- God has for us. God only knows the whole piece. And the good thing about this is, is that you are only responsible for this one piece. You're not responsible for the whole picture. God only holds you responsible for this. And so please know that in your life, that your, your, your defining moment is for that moment alone for you to make that choice. And that is your responsibility. It's nobody else's, it's yours. You are all powerful. God put the power inside of you, the Holy Spirit, to make the right decisions when you need to make the right decisions. It says in, the, in Matthew eleven fifteen. it says, he who has ears to hear, let him, he, him be listening and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. Meaning this, you were created by God to hear his voice and obey it. That is in your nature. God created you. When you do that, you come in line with God and he begins to fit the pieces of the puzzle. When you look at this puzzle and you see the picture, the big picture of this puzzle, it's, it's a, just a small little piece. You almost don't even know where it goes in this puzzle. And yet God knows where it goes and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's creating a beautiful masterpiece for you. So we see as time goes on, this little boy, Joseph, who's 10 years old, he grows up and now he, um, his brothers are jealous of him because he's his dad's favorite. And we kind of know the story, so I'll go quickly through it. But he, his brothers get mad and so they decide they're gonna sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery and they tell the dad that he's dead. He goes into, uh, he gets sent to Egypt where he is enslaved for years. And through a series of events, he becomes the second in power to Pharaoh in Egypt. And there's a big famine that's going on in Egypt and he's in charge of the food supply. So he really is the number one man. And one day his brothers come to him and they do not know, they don't recognize that it's their brother, but they come to him and they ask for food for their family. And when Joseph recognizes that it's his brothers, he has to make a choice. Is he gonna cause revenge? Is he gonna be spiteful and mean? Or is he gonna do what God asked him to do? I can imagine Joseph flashes back to the time when he was a little boy. And he saw Jacob and Esau, and he saw Esau show mercy to his uncle or to his dad. All these emotions come flooding up in his heart. It's like the same scene playing out all over again. Do you think it was an accident? I don't think so. I think God did it on purpose. I think God knew that he would have to face it one day. And so he let that be seen so that he would be able to pull from it. He remembers how Esau forgave the wrong, treated him with kindness, his dad with kindness, even though he didn't deserve it. Because of Joseph's defining moment, when he was a little boy, he treated his brothers like Esau treated his dad. And it says, it's interesting, it's almost the same verse in two different places. It says the same thing. It says in Genesis 45, 14, then he fell on his his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. It's the same scene all over. And not only that, but Joseph was so kind. He said, bring my whole family back, 70 members, bring them back to Egypt, and I'll give them the choicest land that they can live and be because of the kindness of his heart. What am I saying? 
The decisions you make in your defining moments not only affect you, they affect your children's children. How you handle your disappointments, how you respond to the wrong that's been done to you, your attitude in the tough times, they make a mark on those around you. Let me break it down for you practically. When you've received a bad report from the doctor, you have one of two choices. It's a defining factor in your life. You have the choice to either believe the Bible and believe for healing, or you have a choice to be depressed and discouraged and fearful. Or maybe you have a boss that you just can't get along with and he's a bit of a jerk and you just don't know what to do. And it's a defining factor in your life daily. And you have the choice to either gather your coworkers around and gossip and make a, a case against him, or you have a choice to say, you know what? Nope, God is my boss. He sees me, he knows me, he will promote me when I need to be promoted. Or maybe you have a, a spouse that you have a hard time getting along with. Every morning you wake up and it is a defining moment whether or not you're gonna have a good day or a bad day. And God is asking that you would not trust, you would trust him and be kind and not walk in your flesh and kill them <laughs> like you want to do. Amen. Come on. Or maybe you can't pay your bills. You have a hard time paying your bills. You've been out of work. You can't pay your bills. You can either trust God and say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to tithe and give. And I don't, I, I'm going to believe that God's going to provide. Or I'm going to hoard and be scared and nervous and fret and angry and have budget meetings every night because I'm nervous. I've never done that. Um, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> this is true. Your response in the defining moment speaks volumes. It's what's creating your legacy. You think it's a small little decision. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to affect anybody else but me. When you turn that computer on, it's not going to affect anybody. It's just me, me and my computer. It's going to affect you, your character, and your life. There are things that we do in our lives. When you pick up that phone to, to, to call somebody and tell somebody about somebody else and gossip about them and say you don't like them because of this or that, you have a defining moment to do the right thing and be quiet and let God take care of it. The defining moment is, are we gonna let God take control or are we gonna take control? And in a society where we're born to take control, we gotta take control of our lives. We gotta make it happen. It's very hard for us to pull back and say, no, God, what are you saying? What is the yes that you're asking me to do to walk humbly and to love and be kind? Anyone can do the right thing when it's easy. It's doing the right thing when it's hard. God is looking to see if he's enough. In these times, our prayers must be, it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Here are some of the lessons I've learned in my defining moment, and maybe you'll relate to these as well. A defining moment can lead you into the wilderness before the promised land. Ouch. My husband and I, about eight years ago, we were going through a season where we lost everything. We lost our home. We lost, our cars got repossessed. We, didn't, we, we were literally down to nothing. We had to move in with my parents, which is a wonderful thing with three small children at 30, uh, 30 years old to do. Very humiliating 
and we didn't know what to do. And we begin to ask, did we miss a defining moment? Was there something that we did that we, we thought we were supposed to do, but we didn't do? And it had to do with the housing market and the, and the crashing. And we just didn't know what to do at the time. And we were newly married and um, we just, we didn't know. And so we, uh, we would go back and forth and I would be plagued in my mind with what defining moment did I miss? And I remember the Lord speaking to me so clearly. He, he brought me to Mark 1.12 and it says, the spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And what the Lord spoke to me is sometimes, Deborah, I cause you to go into the wilderness. You can do everything right in your life and you're still gonna go into the wilderness. And I'm speaking to you right today because you, it, it can play mind games on you. you. It can really be at a place where you think, I've done something wrong. There must be sin in the camp. Honey, there's sin in the camp. You know, I've just been like, so, somewhere something's going on because I couldn't figure out why are we in the wilderness? We should be in the promised land. But no, we, I, we were in the wilderness to learn and be taught. And we were tested by the enemy if we were gonna have the right attitude or blame others or be frustrated or bitter or angry or we gonna believe God for what he had for us. Let me say to you, some of your defining moments that have brought you into the wilderness, there are defining moments that you are just about to go into that are going to take you in your promised land. You're on the brink of it. You're right there. And if you respond right in the wilderness, your defining moments for the promised land will be coming. Listen, the biggest mistake in your wilderness is questioning your obedience to your last defining moment. I'm going to say that again because that was good. Listen, the biggest... (laughs) The biggest mistake in your wilderness is questioning your obedience to the last defining moment. Do not question. If you've obeyed God, don't question it. God's doing something and it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. I looked in my, uh, my, I have a, a, my, one of my best, best friends is here and about 10 years ago, her and her husband moved down here from a job, a, a, a job in another state where they were uh, pastors and doing really, really well. And then they came down here and they had a wilderness season. They, they were uh, faithful, but things just didn't open up. And it was years went by years and years and years and years. And I watched them and they were faithful. They were always faithful. They showed up to church early. They served, they gave, it didn't matter. They were there. They were always, they, they were never bitter against it. And just last week they received an invite to be, um, to be ahead of a, a Christian college. Amen. 10 years later of them serving in a local church, ser- not even on staff, just serving, just getting here early, staying late, doing the right thing and just being faithful and having a good attitude. And it's just handed to them on a platter. Your life, you can just be doing the mundane, but if you keep the right attitude at the right time, God will give you what you need and what you long for. If you keep your heart set on him. Another thing I've learned in in a defining moment is a defining moment requires you to be brave. If you're not being brave in your life in this season, I don't know if you're hearing God. I don't know if you're obeying God. If your life is comfortable and the, the, mo- the biggest thing you have to do in life is make sure the remote is, is by your hand so that you can turn to the next channel, you're not being brave. You're, you're, not, you're not in a defining moment. My defining moment is not that my biggest show got canceled. That's my defining moment for the year. Come on. We 
we are called to be more. We're called to be more. You're called to be brave. You are an adventurer. That's why we love to see those comeback stories and the stories where these guys conquer Mount Everest and they do these things. And it's not that we're all supposed to be outdoor wilderness people who live on bark. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's adventure inside of us. And if we obey the Holy Spirit and God, there's an adventure waiting for you and you are going to step out and be brave. And yeah, sometimes you're going to get hurt in it and it's going to be confusing and you're not going to know all the answers, but it's going to be an adventure and it's going to be fun. And it's exactly what God has for you. I mean, we've moved nine times in nine years, so come on, we've had adventure. That's been not very fun, but it's been an adventure. (laughs) A defining moment is usually private before it's public. People in the Bible, we think about people in the Bible who had these defining moments, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, who she was in this garden. The angel comes to her, this private moment between her and the angel. And then it says in the Bible, I love it. It says that she hid those things in her heart. She didn't tell anybody. She just said, I will do it. Yes, I will carry the son of God and I will hide it in my heart until the right time. Or we think about Samuel in the Bible where he's laying in bed as a little boy and God's calling to him and he responds yes to to, to Jesus. But it's in that private time all throughout the Bible we see where God speaks to people in their private time before public. And a lot of times we look at this, like I think about Banning and CJ and they didn't just go from nothing to this them having Jesus culture in this church and this movement that goes all over the world are a bunch of defining moments that they've said yes to Jesus. And it's not all fun and games. I mean, CJ lives her life half the time with banning gone. And it is not, it's not all beautiful. It's not all roses, but she chose. There's defining moments in her heart where she says, yes, I will let my husband go and do what he's called to do because it's the right thing. And because my life is bigger than me. It's for the the cause of Christ. And there's sacrifices that happen. I think of Brian and Katie up here and their defining moment didn't just happen today. They just all of a sudden decided, this is my defining moment to come lead worship for Jesus culture. No, their defining moment came years ago when they were playing their guitar and singing in their room and, and, and believing and praying for God to do something. Zach's defining moment didn't come now where Banning just handed him a mic and he's just up here every week and he's never done it before and this is crazy. No, Zach, I've known Zach forever. Zach, went, he was a campus leader and he's been faithful to the call of God in his life for 20, 30 years, right? 30 years probably now. But he's always, whatever it took, he was there. He was faithful and at the right time, God has anointed him to help help lead this church. And he's the right guy. He's, he's too friendly. Sometimes we think sometimes I question if he's on drugs. I honestly do because he's just, he's just so nice. And I've even asked his wife and she's like, yes, she said, he's so positive. Sometimes I have to say, can you not be positive at this moment? This is not a good time to be positive because he's just a very positive person. So what you see is what you get. That is not a show. He is actually a very happy person at all times. A defining moment invades your comfort zone. We did talk about this. Do not get bitter or lulled to sleep in your waiting. Do not get bitter or lulled to sleep in your waiting. I've fought that so much in my life. I've wanted to get bitter. I want to blame everybody. How come they don't see me? How come I'm unseen? I've sowed in one place and yet I didn't reap anything from it. Lord, I sowed, I sowed, I sowed. But you know, the Lord spoke to me about it two months ago and you take it, take it for you. The Lord said, you can sow in one field and reap in another. 
And some of you have been so, you've sowed in other places and you've, you've come here and you've said, man, I, I gave it my all. I sowed, I sowed, I sowed. And now I start from scratch. You don't start from scratch. Your seeds are about to harvest and they're going to harvest in a beautiful land. They're going to harvest in a beautiful fertile soil. And Jesus culture is fertile soil for you. And I'm speaking that out to you now. We need you. We need you to come and help serve alongside of us and help grow and plant something, a huge tree that people can come and and sit under and hear the word of God. So please come join us and be a part of what we're doing. Thoughts you will have during your defining moment. I can't do it. Do I have to? Can someone else do it? I might not be the right person. It's not my personality. I have fought that a lot. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm not an extrovert and it is everything. I, I'm just tired of having kids. They talk to me all day and I am done. I, I, it's like the last thing. And no one told me as an introvert that I would be exhausted talking to children all day. And I am, I'm tired. How many of you are tired? You're just a tired. Yeah, thank you. I'm not the only one here who's tired. But God doesn't look at our person. He doesn't write you off and go, oh, she's introverted. You don't have to do a thing. You just sit there and wait and people will come to you. God doesn't do it that way. God says, you're called, you're anointed. Now I want you to go pray for that person. And you're going to have to get out of yourself, out of your comfort zone and go, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be brave. And you know what? Many times I've had to do, I just have to start walking. I I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to pray. I just have to start walking. As I start walking, God starts giving me things because out of my obedience. But there's been many times I've sat there and thought, I'm not the right person. I'm not the right girl. Call them. They're prettier. They're cuter. They've got a good personality. They've got whatever. And I've totally excused. And God's saying, no, no, no. It's not about that. It's about me being used through you. It's a natural, the super making you a supernatural Christian. God's super, your natural, not your super and God's natural, (laughs) making you a supernatural Christian. A defining moment may not change your circumstances, but they are changing you. You are being changed from the inside out. And when the right opportunity comes and your circumstances change, you'll be ready. When I was a young girl, I always had a heart for England. For I, from a very young age, I remember always wanting to go to England. And I would receive magazines from England. I got a subscription when I was a young girl about England. And I'd get them every month and look through them. And I just was obsessed with England. I remember doing reports in school on England. And when I was 18 years old, I decided that I wanted to do a DTS in England. And so I signed up and applied. And when I did, my parents came to me and asked, they said, you know, we know you want to do this DTS, but we are planting a church. And would you be willing to lay that to the side and help us plant this church? And I said, no, no, I didn't. No, I said, yes. I said, I will do that. I will, I will give that up for this season. And so we planted a church and we, and I sowed and served and, and did whatever I could in that season. And then when I turned 24, I felt the Lord again, impressed on my heart that I really needed to go to England. And so I began to research online. I'm a, I'm, I love, I'm a good Googler. I don't know about you, but I'm a good Googler. I can stalk anybody at any moment. And just so you know, just so you know. And so I began to research, and as I was researching, I came across a ministry. It was a church, a ministry called Soul Survivor, and they were having an event, a huge gathering called Soul in the City. Say that three times with braces, Soul in the City. 
And um, basically what Soul in the City was is they were gathering 10,000 young people in the middle of London and they were doing tent cities where they would go out during the day and they would uh, do community service and uh, that sort of thing. And then in the evening, they'd come together and do these huge gatherings by satellite, these three tent cities. And I just thought it was the perfect thing. And I thought this would be a perfect thing for me to do. I can go, I can be a part. And they were hiring people to come over and serve and help. And I thought this is gonna be exactly what I, I wanna do. So I applied online. And it's always a little nerve wracking to apply for any job or anything. Um, it's, it, it's, it always makes me a little bit nervous. My first job I ever applied for, I got denied. It was Denny's and I was chewing gum. So it's always fun when you, when you get uh, denied an application or an interview. So um, I don't think my husband knows that, but um, yeah, it's humiliating. I will never it again, but I apply for this job and a couple weeks later, I get an email back stating that they have denied me because of the sin in my life. No, not because of the sin in my life, no. They have denied me because I'm American and they were having problems with the visas, getting Americans over there and having visa issues. So they said, we're not really accepting any Americans. And so I was devastated because I just thought, God, this is it. I applied. It was a perfect position. And now, Lord, you're just going to deny it. This is horrible. And so I really was discouraged, but I thought, okay, Lord, if that's what you have, then that's what you have. A couple of months later, my sister and I were down at a conference in LA ministering, and I was online again researching, and the head of Soul Survivor was at a conference in LA about an hour away. And when I found out that he was there, I... I was praying. I was like, Lord, what are you going to do? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're an Esther and you're going to go before the king. And so I looked at my sister and I said, I think we're supposed to drive down to this place and I'm supposed to meet Mike. And Havla being her personality said, great, I'll get the keys. Let's go. So we get in the car, a little rental car, and we drive down there. And when we get there, because the conference was invitation only, it was totally barricaded and there were just security guards around and so I didn't really know what to do at that moment, but I thought, let's just, let's just go. So we drive up to one of the security guards and we roll down our window and I, it comes out of my mouth before I can even think about it. I say, um, I have an important meeting with Mike Pilavachi and I'm here to see him. And the security guard goes, great. And he slaps a VIP sticker on our car and says, you can go up there and park up with the, with the speakers. <laughs> and honestly, it was like getting in a club when you're underage. I, I've never done that. <laughs> It was like one of those moments where you're like, we shouldn't be here. This is horrible. What am I going to do? What if someone finds out? You know, we got to fake it till we make it. We're just going to get there. And so um, we get in there and Mike is finishing up an altar call. And I, and I recognize him. I've never, I've only seen him online. I recognize him. And he kind of walks, I'm standing kind of over in this area and he walks down and he's standing there. And what I didn't realize at the time, because I'm kind of a small church girl, I, didn't, I thought he knew everyone who applied. I didn't know it was a really big ministry. And so I decide I'm going to walk up to him and tell him who I am, and he's going to know who I am. So I walk up to him, and I'm like, hi, I'm Deborah. I applied for your uh, soul in the city, and got, you know, it didn't work out. And he kind of looked at me really bewildered and then said, oh, wait, hold on, come with me. And so he leads me into this back room, which is like a green room where there's other speakers and leaders. And we sit down at a table and I begin to talk with him. And as I begin to share my heart with him, he says, hold on a second, I need to get some other people. And I said, okay. And so he brings in another couple who are there as well. And they all sit down and I begin to share my heart for their country. 
I begin to say that as a little girl, I have always had a heart for England. I, I, I've always known that I was gonna go to England and I saw your program online and I just knew I was called to go and yet I got denied going and I don't know what to do because I really believe that God has called me to go. And I remember Bob, the, the, the man who was sit, sitting there, what I didn't realize at the time was that Bob and his wife were the senior pastors of the church. And Bob looked at me and he said, we want you to come over in five weeks and we want to put you as a pastor on staff. The largest church in England for youth didn't know me from Adam, but the favor of God was there in that room at that moment. And five weeks later, you can clap. Thank you. <laughs> and five weeks later, I headed to England where I was there a year and you know what's amazing about my defining moment is? Is that I met my husband in England. And I didn't know, I, I call him my big souvenir. He's my big souvenir. But um, <laughs> everyone's got to bring home a souvenir. I didn't want another t-shirt. And um, I did not realize that that defining moment of me being rejected and saying, no, Lord, what do you want? And him saying, you go and you be bold and you do what I've asked you to do that there was someone waiting for me on the other side of my obedience. Amen. And not only was someone waiting on the other side of my obedience, my children were waiting on the other side of my obedience. And not only that, but we, I know of at least three marriages that happened because of that, England and, and English and Americans marrying because of it. And they come up and they thank me and they say, thank you so much for hearing God for us because we're together because of what you've done. And no, I, I don't have any other spouses for you single people out there. I, I don't know any other single English people, but I will do my best. But I, <laughs> his brother's married. I'm sorry. But at that moment, it was a defining factor for me. And I had to realize, was I going to believe what God had told me or was I going to believe what was given to me? My defining moment affected everyone around me, including my legacy. When I talk about that story that I talked about at the beginning of the youth pastor who didn't know that we were coming to the conference, that youth pastor we became friends with and we would go to that church regularly and we would go to conferences there and connect with him. And that church, and he would, and he would travel and we, would, we would, became family friends and that church was Bethel. And that youth pastor was banning. And that was our defining moment. Because at that moment, if we had run and said, we don't want to be here for this conference, we would never have met them. And we would not be lifelong friends because of it. And I wouldn't be here tonight. Your defining moments shape who you are and they shape your legacy. And you don't know what's on the other side of your obedience. You don't know, and you may wonder and think, I'm just doing what I, I need to do, and it doesn't make sense. But if you obey the Holy Spirit and what he says, I promise you that God will direct your steps, and you'll look back at a beautiful picture of what God has done. He has a beautiful picture for you, and you may only have a piece of it, and that's okay, but obey God on that piece, and then he'll give you the next piece, and then he'll give you the next piece. Your defining moment in this time, in this place, is to say yes to God. Some of you, your defining moment in this place is that you're at Jesus' culture. That's your defining moment. 
God has put you here for this time in this season. And this will be a defining factor in your life. You'll look back and go, I remember when I chose to go to Jesus culture and then this happened and this happened. And from then on, these things begin to happen and it defined part of your story. Your defining moments are your story. They're who you are. And it's the story you tell your children. When I was driving home today in between services and my little eight-year-old daughter was here and she was listening to me speak. And I, I tell stories at different times um, about things, but I, I kind of tell her the story of how I met daddy. I don't really go into the story before I met him. And so she hadn't heard the story about me um, going to England and how that happened. And I asked her, I said, what did you think about, you know, what I shared? And she said, you know, mommy, what I like most about you is just hearing your story. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, when we get to heaven, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down and be like, tell me your story. Tell me your defining moments. Tell me the times when you said yes to God. I want to know about those times. And we can agree together and believe together. Jesus culture is in a bit of a defining moment in this season. You know, we're not even a year old yet. And we're defining ourselves and we're getting to figure out who we are. And I just believe that we're, there's decisions that are being made that are just perfect for what God wants to do in this city and in this time. And we're making the right decisions to make the defining moment in the history of Jesus culture. You're at the beginning. It's like the infant stage of the history of Jesus culture church. This is it. If you want to get on the ground level, this is the time. And it will be part of your history and part of your story. And it'll be part of your defining moment. And you are part of Jesus culture's defining moment. Thank you, God. Lord, I lift up every single one. We just raise our hands with the Lord. Father, we do not see the whole picture, but you do. God, we don't understand all the puzzle pieces of our life and all the defining factors, but you do. And so, Father, I ask tonight, Lord, that you would create a grace in us to say yes to you, even in our difficult times, even in our wilderness experiences, Lord, in the times when you've asked us to be brave and to get out of our comfort zones, God, I pray that we would do that, that we would not question what you're asking of us, but we would say yes, yes to you, God, that you are a good father, that your heart is good for us. And the enemy would lie to us and say that you're not a good father and that you hold things from us and you're, that you're never going to fulfill your promises. But we know that's untrue. We know that your promises are true. And we believe in all that you say and all that you do. And Father, I ask for supernatural grace on every person tonight. Father, I pray that the words that were spoken prophetically would fall on good soil, Lord, and that they would bear fruit And Father, I pray for a special anointing on each person here that they would have a strength to finish the race, to finish what you've asked of them and to do it well. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for their lives and we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Jesus Culture Sacramento Podcast. For more information about the church, visit jesusculture.com.